Well, um, here, we, here I am again. I mean, I've changed. I'm in a slightly different context. Fed up being indoors, so I thought that I would come and speak to you, or rather I'd come and speak to the trees, uh, and we would bear witness to God in that way. Um, we are going to look at Psalm 126, and as we do so, I want to consider and reflect on where we're at spiritually and how sometimes we feel that we're in a dry and weary land. Now, that doesn't feel like that here in the, in the botanics. It's beautiful and it's green. But there are many parts of Australia that are dry and barren. And to be honest, that's true in a spiritual sense. And spiritually, many of us can feel like that. Now, I, I think sometimes we feel overwhelmed and discouraged and a little bit depressed. And I guess... What about evangelism with that? Now, when you hear that word, by the way, if, if you're watching this or listening to this and you're not a Christian and you hear the word evangelism, what do you think of? Uh, you know, some Billy Graham American style evangelist in a big stadium, you know, someone handing you out leaflets on the street. It seems kind of strange for many people. But I don't want you to think about that. We don't like the idea of being evangelized. And those of you who are Christians, remember that. You don't say to your friend, come around to my house, I'm going to evangelize you. And you don't have people as projects. But evangelism is just basically this. It's good news. It's the best news possible. I mean, if I found or discovered the absolute most wonderful vaccine for COVID that cured everyone instantly with a pill and forever, I think, you know, I'd be, I'd be running to tell people, well, we've got much better news than that. I think for us as Christians, as well as we're thinking about it, we, we struggle with, we think evangelism is something that we ought to do, but we're not sure how to do it. We think of it too often as a program or a technique or inviting people to come to something rather than telling people about Christ. And that's what we're going to look at. So let me just put it another way. Do you actually want people to become Christians? Do you want to grow in your own faith? And do we want to see a spiritual harvest? Well, let me read from God's word. Psalm 126. And the, the uh, birds of the air will sing his praises. And that's obviously Australian singing, because cockatoos. Ugh, I hate them, by the way. They wake me in the morning. But Psalm 126, I love this. When the Lord, if you've got a Bible, turn to it. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now, what is this song about? It's a song remembering the days of happiness and prosperity. And it's a song looking to the future in the midst of a period of barrenness. Now, there's a danger in looking to the past. You remember everything being absolutely wonderful. You know, I remember somebody saying, oh, it would have been so nice to live in the 19th century. And you go, yeah, when the average uh, uh, life was 40 years, when half of children died, when tuberculosis was around, when there was no uh, antibi antibiotics. I just think of it simply this way. Do I want to live in an era, an era where there is no 
uh, anesthetic for dentistry. So no, we can be too fond, over fond of the past. But I want to just uh, think of this in terms of restored fortunes. So let's do verses one to three where he's remembering the past. Now, to set this in context and to help us understand before we apply it to our own day, this is Jeremiah 29.10. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. That was a promise that God gave. God's people had been taken into exile. It was devastating, temple destroyed, Jerusalem overtaken. Everything seemed to have been lost and God promised them, I'll take you back. And that must have been really, really hard to believe, but it happened. And that's why Psalm 126 says the nations were astonished at what happened. No one could have pre predicted this. None of the expert modelers on, on history at that time would have predicted this. It says we were like men that dreamed. Now, you may have gathered from my accent, I'm not from around here. I'm a Scot and I'm a Scottish Calvinist. And that makes us very pessimistic. So if we have a day like today, it's beautiful sunshine, I would say, yeah, but there's rain coming. And in Scotland, that's usually true. And I think some of us by nature, I don't think it's anything to do with being Scottish and certainly not to do with being Calvinist, but I think some of us by nature are a bit pessimistic. And some people are almost the opposite. They're a bit delusional in what they expect. The Lord's gonna bring massive revival tomorrow. I think what we are being taught to do here is to look at God's word and say, well, what does God say? And then just to believe that whatever the circumstances are. So I don't think this is nostalgia. I don't think this is looking back and going, ah, oh, remember the good old days. I think this is just simply saying there's hope for the future. So verses four to six are then talking about that future, looking to the future, remembering the past. Now, here's the lesson that I think it's important for us to learn. Miracles of the past are measures for the future. So God worked in the past. We have so much testimony to see that. I can walk around this city in Sydney and I can see the first place that the word of God was preached uh, on in this land as far as we know. Maybe the Dutch got here first and did it somewhere else. but as far as we know. And many of you will have memories of things that have happened in the past, but God can do it again. And that's the point of what he's saying. Now he gives two examples. He says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the negative. Now, what does that mean? This is an important one. This is the sudden outpouring. So when I came to Australia a couple of years ago, I went out to visit my daughter in the Blue Mountains and there was a, I just couldn't believe how brown everything was as we went out Western Sydney and everything was parched, everything was dry, longing for rain. And then the fires came and so many areas were worse. And then came the rain and I, I remember it. I remember we were in church and we were praying for rain and we came out and there was a spot of rain. And someone jokingly said, well, our prayers are answered. And I said, don't joke. 
And in the next couple of weeks, that's exactly what happened. The rain just poured and poured and poured. And the next time I went out to West Sydney, I could not believe how everything had changed so quickly with that downpour. So let me put that in spiritual terms. I long for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. I've had tastes of that, what the Bible calls showers of blessing. And it's wonderful when you're in a place and you have a sense of the presence of God and people are becoming Christians. And it's that's something that he's asking for. The Negev was the south and it was it was imagine the driest area of Australia. We're not talking uh, Tasmania here. Uh, by the way, did you see in the news that Tasmania, along with Ireland, Iceland and New Zealand, and I think the, the UK have been listed as the places to be when the, the next world disaster comes, because, you know, when the apocalypse or whatever happens, apparently. So uh, Tasmania, that's interesting. No, no, I'm talking about a really dry place. I'm talking about right in the middle of uh, Australia. And I imagine just the rain coming, and sometimes it does. And all that life that, that is buried in the ground that seems as dry as can be comes to life. And we're talking about a spiritual outpouring. And I would encourage you, please, to pray for that. We need that outpouring of God's Holy Spirit. You read about things like the Welsh Revival in 1904. My wife's parents were converted in the Lewis Revival in the 1950s. And, and that the impact of that continued for over 50 years. Or the Korean revival at the beginning of the 20th century. The extraordinary growth that came out of that. And there have been periods of renewal and revival in Australia as well. And that's what we long for. We long for Fig Tree. We, we long for Sydney. We long for the whole of Australia, indeed the whole world. But then verses 5 to 6 seems to say something different. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. That's a separate thing. There's the outpouring and the instant fruit. And then there's the slow, hard work. And that's what most normal evangelism is. And that's what God calls us to. He may send the rain. He may send the outpouring. And we long for him to do that. And we cry out for it. But he doesn't say, right, everything's going to be barren till then. He's saying this is the normal process within the Christian life and within the church. It's like farming. Now, I'm a, a farmer, so I understand this. Or I'm a, my, my dad um, was a farmer. And, you know, you learn a lot of things from, from farming. And evangelism, I, I would put it simply, it's, it's plowing, it's sowing, uh, there's watering and weeding as well, and then there's reaping. Now, the watering we leave to God completely. But the plowing and the sowing and the reaping, we have the privilege of really taking part in. And I'm thinking in terms of uh, the plowing is breaking up the ground. There's hard ground, and you've got to break it up. Um, it's preparing, it's removing stones. It was a job I hated on the farm, was going out uh, every spring to take away stones off the land. And I couldn't believe how the land kept producing stones, but because the land's a living thing and the stones came up from underneath, but removing them so that the plants could grow. It's dealing with ob objections. 
So that uh, being challenged, I think in terms of evangelism, that's what I would call it, dealing with objections and being, being challenged. I, this is maybe a little bit controversial and you know we're gonna have time maybe to ask questions and discuss things and certainly feel free to, to, to contact me. I wonder, I'm not a prophet, in the in that biblical sense i do teach god's word but i wonder if the the bushfires the drought covid i wonder if god is not breaking up ground in all of this sometimes i see that at a personal level in personal tragedy and maybe this is happening at a national level we're so complacent weren't we we've got it sorted we've got it sussed and we haven't and maybe God is showing us that but also the sun and rain can break up the ground and what do I mean by that I mean in evangelistic terms I mean being kind to your neighbor I think of one gentleman who used to write a great deal of abuse against me on the internet <laughs> he wrote me one day and said it was private and he just said simply David I, I want to tell you that I'm not a Christian I still don't believe in God, but I've come to accept a lot of what you said is true. I was involved in a discussion on a secularist website, and he was very involved in that. And he said, I want to apologize for all the things I've said to you and called you. And I was quite moved, and I wrote to him and said, well, well, okay, well, why? And he said, well, a couple of things. Just I see what's going on in society, and I see basically you were right. But he said, the main thing is this. When my nephew committed suicide... You're the only person who wrote me and you wrote me privately to express uh, your concern and he said I, just, I couldn't forget that and I, I think we don't do these things to manipulate people or to try and influence people I'm just saying that the love of Christ expressed through his people is also a way of breaking up the ground as well as the harsh things I'd say removing the stones is a little bit like removing the objections so uh, I wrote a book called uh, The Dawkins Letters and the subtitle was Challenging Atheist Myths. And atheist myths are what Tim Keller calls the defeater beliefs that stop people even considering. So you have friends and you have family who would never think of coming to this church. Why? Because for them, science has shown that God doesn't exist or suffering means that God cannot be love. And they've got these beliefs which they've never really thought about. And we have to often carefully deconstruct them and, and change them. And I think that that's part of the work that we are called to do. So that's the plowing. Let's say something about the sowing. And uh, I've got to keep an eye on my time and your time as well. Just go to the parable of the sower, Luke chapter 8, verses 4 to 15. You sow the seed of God's word. Some of it falls on the path and it's taken away by the devil. People don't hear Somebody may even come to church, hear God's word. They go away instantly, it's gone. Some falls on stony ground. This is an amazing one. They hear it with joy. And we're going, wow, these are people who are hearing God's word with joy. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah, but there's no root. And at the first testing, they fall away. One of the reasons God permits us to go through tough times is so that our faith may be proved genuine and of more worth than gold. And then this one some fall amongst thorns these are they says jesus who hear accept but get choked by life's worries riches and pleasures and do not mature and that's some of you isn't it 
You believe, you trust in Jesus, your salvation is sure, but you're not really producing fruit because life's worries, riches and pleasures are choking you. And we need to be freed from that. And what about the good soil? Jesus says the noble and good heart. Well, that's the spirit working within us. They hear the word, they retain it, they persevere and they produce a crop. And that's the trick. You've got to persevere. There's a man came into my church in Scotland once and uh, I recognised him. He was a famous politician. He had been the head of the Scottish Nationalist Party. He was a member of parliament. And I said to him, Mr. Wilson, what are you doing here? Um, he was 15 minutes early and no one in my church came early. And he said, oh, I, I read your book, David. I, I came to hear. Anyway, in the wonderful mercy of God, he became a Christian, he and his wife, and they were fabulous. And he, he asked to meet me one day and he taught me a lesson which was incredibly important. He said, David, I was planning 50 years ago for a Scottish government. We thought it was impossible. We thought it would never happen. We planned it. We thought ahead a hundred years and it's come within 50 years. And he said, you know the trouble with the church? You've got a great message, much better message than any of us politicians but you're rubbish at getting it out and you don't think ahead. You don't plan long-term. And those of us who are in church ministry, we, we are often just thinking about maybe the next year, possibly the next two years. Maybe we're kind of like Stalinists and we have five-year plans. And I'm not suggesting that we can plan everything, but I'm saying we do need to learn to think long-term. Think about your family longer-term. Those of you who are Sunday school teachers or who teach the children, you may be teaching a child that you see no fruit. And then in 50 years time, that child might be the prime minister of Australia or the newly independent Republic of Western Australia, or um, they may be an evangelist who preaches to millions of people. You don't know. We just don't know. We are sowing all that we do. We are sowing, we are sowing, we are sowing. And I think fig tree need to think about it in that way, a much, much longer term perspective. Second Corinthians nine six says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Well, you know that, don't you? I mean, who do you blame if you go out as a farmer well, we used to plant potatoes and, um, you know, if, if we planted potatoes in one field and we only got one field's worth of crop, who do we turn around and blame and say, yeah, but we need 20 fields? Well, you plant potatoes in 20 fields. That's the point. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1 is, I think, one of my favorite verses on evangelism. It says this, cast your bread on the waters and after many years it will return to you. Now, it's such a familiar verse for some people, but that sounds strange. You know, throw your bread in the water. What's that about? Well, it's this. If you, if you look out in this harbor here, you imagine Solomon and Israel. And what it's saying was, send your grain to sea on ships. He was trading. And what Solomon did was he, they would send the ships out. And imagine going from a harbor. Imagine you're a Sydney businessman and you've got a shipload of stuff and you send it off. And in those days, you didn't know if it was going to come back. 
and it certainly wasn't going to come back for three years. So in Solomon's time, it would go along the Mediterranean, it would go to Africa, possibly even reach the peak of civilization, Scotland. I doubt it, but it probably went down West Africa. And they would return with gold and with animals and with wood and with furs and with so many different things. But that's what Solomon was saying. He's saying, if you don't invest, you can't expect a return. The other thing that that chapter says is don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I do think that's important for the church, that we have lots of different ways of reaching out to people. Some of them will work. I, I call it arrows in a quiver. Some of them will stick, some of them won't. And you go with the ones that stick. But you've always got to be prepared to be adaptable and to change. And remember that again I said about thinking long term. That's hugely important. And then this aspect. Those who sow in tears. Now, let's say something about that because we're quite scared of emotion. Or at least, maybe Aussie men are like this, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to speak on behalf of the women. But I'll tell you this, uh, the only time you see a Scotsman crying is usually on the football terraces. And actually that's quite a lot, because we usually lose. But the tears, what are the tears here? They're not the crocodile tears. You know, I've seen it done. Have you, have you ever seen that? You've seen, you know, I'm speaking to a camera just now and people say things like, Hey, hey. You're speaking to camera. Make sure you're smiling all the time. If I was smiling at you all the time, it would be absolutely horrendous. I don't smile all the time. And when I see people doing that, you know, the fake smile or the fake tears is just awful. We're not, he's not talking about that. He's talking about something real. He's talking about something from within. Now, why tears? Well, firstly, it's hard work. It's blood, sweat and tears, isn't it? That, that's what our labor is. And then there are lots of things that would cause us tears in the work as well, because there's compassion. We have to be compassionate for people. So I, I, I sometimes walk along here and not today because of COVID, but there are loads and loads of people. And that is, that is like um, COVID. So what we find is, uh, I remember in Glasgow, there's a when D.L. Moody came there in the 19th century, he broke down and, and it was, some people said, what's wrong with him? Because he was standing in a street called Socky Hall Street and he went to a shop door and he cried and his wife said, I see all these people as lost. And there's a compassion that's really in there. Jesus had that compassion. Lazarus, when Lazarus died and he wept with, with, with anger at death and, but also for the family and people said, see how he loved him. Now, we, we do get scared of emotion, don't we? We don't want to be happy clappy, I guess. We could do with a little bit more of that. Um, but we're, we're kind of, there is a difference between shallow and deep emotion. They say about us Scottish Presbyterians that the joy was so deep you had to dig to get it out. But it's got to be there. McShane uh, said that you shouldn't preach hell without tears. I think of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's going to the cross. I think of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. I used to go to a, a hill in the middle of Dundee, the city where I was, and it's an old volcano and you can go right to the top. And I would stand there and um, just look at all the housing estates all around. You could see the whole city. And I just often thought of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. So I have a question for you. When did you last weep over Wollongong or Sydney, over your family, over your workmates? 
We weep for the things we care about. I've seen grown men cry at a football match, as I said. I've seen Christians cry because a communion table was moved. But when do we last cry because people are lost? We weep because we love and we care. And then there's reaping, and I'm gonna to have to finish up fairly soon because it looks like the park wardens are about to come and throw us off. Uh, so we may have this interrupted. It's not often immediate. This is not Jack and his magic beans, but it is certain and it is real. And when you see it, it's wonderful. Your first potato, your first flower, standing of tons of grain at the farm. And you know what I love? If you've ever seen these photos of, of Dutch flower fields, they're coming to life and they're so rich and they're so varied. And just like all around us here, you see these flowers and, and it's just beautiful. It's wonderful. Um, I'm gonna take a stop for a minute and then uh, finish because I'm just about to be approached by somebody. Okay. Uh, we see the gospel at work. The angels in heaven rejoice. Rejoice and be glad because the devils submit. Rejoice in persecution. Rejoice and be glad. Let me finish with just a couple of things, a couple of scriptures. Do not be deceived, Galatians 6, 7. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I leave you with Isaiah 55 and verse nine. As the heavens are higher than the heavens, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. And the trees in this place. That's the joy that we want. God's word won't return to empty. Let's make sure we plow. Let's make sure we sow. Let's long to reap. And if you're not a Christian, please come to know this Lord and be involved in this marvelous and great harvest. God bless you. And I hope that you will enjoy the whole of this mission week. And uh, I will see some of the young people on Tuesday. See you then. Bye.